What does it mean to surrender to win? How does this even make sense? Welcome to episode 320 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by ST, Carrie, Mary, and Amelia. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, ST, Carrie, Mary, and Amelia, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During the show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me today is Barb. Welcome, Barb. Thank you. Happy to be here. As usual, we like to start with a reading from our literature, and you've chosen um, a reading to open with from the literature of the Adult Children of Alcoholics program, which I guess you are a member of. I am, yeah. And this is from the Big Red Book, page 120. The section is entitled, There is Nothing Noble in the Struggle. I have been in situations where the outcome would have been better if I just said, I can't do that. Instead, I took on the impossible, failed, and beat myself up for it. I would go without recreation, sleep, and food to keep myself focused on the task at hand. Relentlessly, I considered different perspectives until I found a way to get the job done. This depleted the energy I needed to survive. I began to withdraw from my family and friends. One day, I was sitting on the carpet in my home office looking at piles of paper. I couldn't organize the papers or find the ones I wanted. I couldn't get off the floor. I could only cry. I thought my life would never get better, and I wanted to die. My therapist said, when you learn you can't do it, then you've got a chance. So far, you keep finding more energy to keep trying. The best thing for you to do is fall apart, realize your life is unmanageable, and understand that you can't do it all. When my life got as bad as it could possibly get, I started coming to ACA. I discovered I had taken step one by saying, I can't do this anymore. I quit. My life got better from that moment on. I had hit a bottom. While giving all you can is admirable, I have learned in ACA that it's better for me to know my capabilities and limitations. When I can't do something, I need to just let go. When I see my friends struggling now, I don't try to fix their lives for them. When they hit their bottom, they will let go and reach out for help, as I did. I have finally discovered there is nothing noble in the struggle. I surrender. And there's that word, surrender. Which, yeah. Uh, you know, when uh, you said you wanted to be a guest host on the show, you suggested the topic, surrender to win. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's a, something that I have experienced, but it also is this mm. sort of... Um, contradictory statement in itself, right? Yeah. Uh, in the way that we normally think about surrender. No, if I surrender, I don't win, right? Right. But in this case, we're going to, and and so we're going to dive into that a, a little bit today. Let's start. Why don't you share a little bit about what brought you into uh, a program of recovery? Sure. Well, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic and dysfunctional family, and I'm also... I understand a grandchild of alcoholics and a 
perhaps a, also a great grandchild of alcoholics. And so some years ago when I was younger, I had been in Al-Anon for a couple of years, but I hadn't worked the steps. I don't think I really realized the, the full you know, depth of the, the program. I, um, I went for a couple of years and I found it helpful. And then recently, about a year ago, uh, to be exact, one of those members of Al-Anon told me that there was something called ACA and I had never heard of it before. And I was really excited to find out that there are some meetings just a few miles from my house twice a week. So I started attending and um, it's been really helpful. About around this time last year, I found myself in a place where I was just uh, having a lot of really challenging anxiety and a lot of panic attacks and that seemed to go on for days and things I hadn't experienced in, in quite some time, really, since I was in my 20s and I'm 41 now. And so I, I had this feeling that this problem wasn't going to get better on its own. And I wondered, like, where could I go for help? And I remembered that Al-Anon used to be helpful for me uh, with similar problems. And it just felt really serious this time. It felt like I was dealing with a progressive problem. Yeah, ACA is helping. And I like this saying, um, if the medicine works, then maybe you have the disease kind of thing. <laughs> and I find that that's, that's been true for me. Yeah, isn't that isn't that true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have said something similar to that to to people who are new to Al-Anon and wondering whether they belong. And the statement usually is something, "Well, I don't know why I'm here, mm-hmm. but what I heard tonight, I really identify with a lot of it." Mm-hmm. And I say, "Well, then keep coming." <laughs> Because you're in the right place. Yes. I think for somebody who's in AA or NA or any of those substance-related programs, the reason for being there is usually pretty obvious. And for those of us who are in programs where we're recovering from relationships and our need to control or whatever in relationships, the the need to be here is really not so obvious. Yeah. And it, and it can take a while, right? Right. Now, I've heard it said that ACA is a program for those who want it, not for those who need it. And I, I, I understand that. I can relate to that. For me personally, it feels like being recovery is is not an option for me that I, you know, I do need to be in recovery and I will, you know, most likely be doing this for the rest of my life. And that's good. I'm, I'm happy that I have the opportunity to do this. Need is, as, as, as we just noted, need can be very hard to identify. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I could have just been, I could have just, uh, kept going the way I was going, but uh, I was expending a lot of energy with all these behaviors, as I call them, just a lot of obsessive thinking, keeping me up at night, you know, recounting events, uh, things I said, you know, things I, I did in an iterative loop all the time and really not getting anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And so speak to this notion of surrender to win from from where you started. 
Yeah, it seems counterintuitive that the idea of relinquishing control would give me the results in my life that I want, but I'm finding that when I do give up control, because I think that that's one of my, my biggest issues that I grapple with, I often get results that are better than I expected. So it does work. So this idea of surrendering to win, like if I give up trying to force solutions, put a lot of energy into something, whereas if I go into a situation, I've done everything I can, I've done it to the best of my ability, but I continue to uh, ruminate about it, it's not helpful for me. And I find that if I let go a bit, I do those things, do the first thing first, do what's best, take a step back. I might not always get the outcome that I wanted, but that's okay. I, I find that I get the outcome that I needed or that is needed. It gets the job done. And I realize that surrendering to win means the way things work out in my life, it's not up to me and my will. And actually I, I find that I, I have a hard time getting out of my own way often. So I sometimes will be an impediment to the process, you know, uh, mm. and ma making it even harder to achieve that very outcome that I so want. So surrendering to win says to me that letting the program work in my life and trusting that my higher power knows what is best for me. She knows what God wants for me, and my job is to let go and let her do that. I'm reminded of part of a reading from the book How Elanon Works. This is in the step one reading, and in the middle it says, We let go of the losing battle we have been waging. We recognize that there is no point in continuing the fight. We surrender completely. And then a little bit later, it says, when we let go of the illusion of power over alcohol and over other people, we move in a more positive, productive, and rewarding direction. We move toward hope. I just put those two together as I was listening to you, because the first part is about abject surrender, like giving it up completely. This is not mine to do. I'm going to stop. I mean, this reading for step one, I don't know if if you're familiar with it, it feels at times it's like very negative. It's about, you know, our lives are unmanageable and, yeah. and, 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 and just like feels like hopeless. And then we get to the end and here's the win part, right? We let go of the illusion of power so that we can move in a positive way productive and rewarding direction. Right. This is the reading that we we do in one of my meetings whenever we're doing the first step because there's a new person at the table. And sometimes I feel like this is going to drive them away because it just sounds so hopeless. Until <laughs> we if that if that last couple of sentences weren't in the reading, I would say, don't read this thing. It's just it's <laughs> depressing. Right. But, but then right at the end, right at the end, you get the, we move toward hope. Right. You know, because then the way we do the meeting, we read that and then people share their experience, which hopefully for those of us who have been in the program for a while also contains a message of hope and recovery. 
So I looked up a definition. I looked up some definitions of surrender. And the one that I found that I felt met what we're talking about here most closely, and I really don't remember which dictionary this came from, it says, to give up completely or agree to forego, especially in favor of another. So it has this concept of giving up, but it also has this concept of giving over or giving to in favor of another. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the things that we have given up or foregone, like the illusion of control over alcohol. Mm-hmm. Forcing solutions right. is, is was a big one for me. I tried to force solutions on my loved one when she was drinking. Mm. And... I can't recall a single time when I tried to force a solution which by which I meant get her to not drink as much or to to drink less or to stop drinking. I can't recall a single time when that actually worked. Yeah. But I kept trying. Right. Because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And I thought it was I thought it was my job, I thought it was my responsibility to you know help fix this person that I loved. Right. And when I came to Al-Anon, what I learned was, actually, I came to Al-Anon because of somebody said, I was in, in a family and friends meeting at a treatment center, and, and somebody said, you know, you did not cause your loved one's alcoholism. You cannot cure it, and you cannot control it. Yes. And in, in that moment, I felt this weight come off of me. I mean, I felt literally felt lighter. Yeah. And then realized that if I couldn't fix her and my life was pretty miserable, what could I do? Right. Right. And that was the day I went to my first Al-Anon meeting. So I came into Al-Anon knowing in my heart, at least if not in my head, that it was not my job to fix her mm-hmm. and that and that I would hopefully find some help for myself uh, as as I've said as you know what did I have to lose but an hour of my day right i did sit by the door so i could run if i needed to <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of that hour what i knew was that there were people who actually understood what was going yeah. on in my life that I wasn't alone anymore. Yeah. There's a real power in that. I find there's a special magic in that room when everyone's gathered for this singular purpose. It's, I find it every week when I go to meetings, it's just, it's only something that you can find when those things align. (laughs) And the first principle of the program that, that I took and tried to practice daily or when I needed to, was let go. I mean, we have this slogan, let go and let God, and I wasn't sure yeah. about the God part, uh, but I could mm-hmm. I could let go. And at that time, I had a flip phone. This was pre-smartphone era, right? But <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I did have a cell phone, uh, and it had, <laughs> it had one line on the screen where you could put in some text. And so I put let go. So yeah. that every time I opened my phone, it said let go. Oh, that's great. Um, and, you know, that was still a struggle. <laughs> oh, sure. But I, it, it reminded me that fixing her was not my job. 
that I could not force her to get better. That was something that she had to do for herself. And that we would all be less stressed. Yeah. At least. I'm not going to say necessarily happier. That took a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember coming into a meeting after I'd been in the program for a, a while, not a, not a whole long time, like a month or two, and was talking to a friend after the meeting, and she looked at me and she said, you're smiling. And I yeah. don't think I've seen you smile before, right? Mm-hmm. So giving up on trying to control, surrendering the notion that I could control led me to the ability to smile again. Yeah. Um, so surrender to win. There we are, right? Right. What What are some of the things that, that you have surrendered in recovery? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, yeah, some of the things that we, we touched on before. Definitely forcing solutions and trying to control outcomes. I'm not doing those things perfectly. I still do them sometimes, but I feel different. My motivations are changing. And so I'm finding that I'm doing those things less. And if I do do them, I see it. Whereas I used to just think that that kind of behavior was, was normal for me, but now I see it and I say, Oh, I'm doing, doing that thing again, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That thing. Yeah. That thing we do. Right. That thing we do. You know, I don't know if I've given up anything completely just yet, but boy, I've really um, letting go much more consistently. An idea that uh, that I've almost entirely given up on, and uh, you know, I think this is part of you know steps uh, one and two. I've almost entirely given up this idea that I have any control over the dysfunction of my family of origin. So I'm not married to an alcoholic or, or an addict, but I, you know, certainly grew up within this family system. And I think to some degree revisiting, you know, my childhood in my mind all the time, I, on some level, I'm trying to change the outcome, but there is no changing the outcome. And on some level, maybe I feel responsible that I couldn't fix things for my family so that things could have been easier for them. So I've, I've really nearly given up on this idea that, you know, given where I came from, the way my childhood went, that I, this idea that I could have turned out any differently than I have, you know, when I'm feeling like I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself or, or feeling like, gee, I wish I was farther along with my piano playing or with some skill I'm trying to develop or, or I don't know, just, just something wish I was farther along. I think to myself, you know, I can be more gentle now, like this concept of reparenting myself and saying, you know, Hey, you are right where you are, where you are supposed to be. It's okay to be where you are, to meet yourself where you are. So just, just letting go of these perfectionistic, um, behaviors, uh, yeah. which is helping me let go of, procrastination because now I'm not as afraid to start things, which is, that's, that's huge. It's really everything for me right there. Yeah. We had an episode that was titled something like perfectionism, procrastination and paralysis. Yeah. I'll have to look up the number so I can put a link in the the show notes Mm -hmm. on the website because that's something that I have struggled with for a long time. I'm in a 
profession where I make things. They're they're software things, but they're things. Right. In the past, and to some extent still, I have this initial vision of the perfection of the thing that I'm going to create. Yeah. It's going to do exactly the right thing in exactly the right way. And mm-hmm. sometimes that vision of perfection is enough to keep me from getting started because I don't think I'll actually achieve it. Right. <laughs> totally relate. <laughs> okay. So giving up the idea of perfect in favor of good enough. Yeah. Makes a huge difference in actually getting it done. Right. I try to instill this in the people in my team at work. That, yes, we could spend a couple of days fixing this little imperfection. But in fact, it's not going to make any significant difference in the way it works, in the way that people use it, and the work that people are going to be able to get done with it. Yeah. It's not worth that effort at this time. Right. And we're going for good enough. We're always going for good enough. Not perfect. So you talked about the first two steps, sort of giving up control, letting go. And then we get to step three, which is another kind of surrender. And I think you have a reading for that. Yes, I do. It's from Hope for Today. It's uh, page 98, dated April 7th. For me, the priceless gift of Al-Anon has been freedom from worry. I've come to believe that my higher power is managing my life and that everything occurs for a reason. At any given moment, I am the sum total of all that has gone before, both painful and pleasurable, so everything I've experienced has value. When I surrendered myself to God's care in step three, I also surrendered the notion that things would go my way. It took me a long time to come to terms with this, but I did it by slowly turning situations over and by trusting my higher power with the outcomes. Now I can look back and see how everything fit together. Certain events had to occur before changes could be made. As a result, my life eventually improved beyond my wildest dreams. If the situations had gone my way, I would not be enjoying the things that bring me pleasure today. Improved relationships, a better job, and more self-esteem. The list continues. Today it doesn't take me as long to let go and let God, because now I know a shortcut. I can go straight to my higher power in prayer and meditation and bypass the worrying. She's aware and waiting for me to ask for help. She helps me sort my worries about the past and future from the realities of today, which breaks my concerns down to manageable size. Then I apply the serenity prayer by changing the things I can and letting go of the rest. Today I can live serenely in the present, knowing my higher power is solving all my problems and concerns in her perfect time. Thought for the day. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives me something to do, but it gets me nowhere. I can let go of a problem and let God help me with it, which is from Courage to Be Me, page 66. Which is the Alateen reader, I think. Yes. Yes. There's so much. There's so much good stuff in this reading. Hmm. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and uh, I love the worry is like a rocking chair. That When I saw that, I just, I loved it. 
Yes. Yeah. That <laughs> rocking chair, hamster wheel. We have, yeah. have these these metaphors for mm-hmm. what worry does, which is it gives us it gives me I can't speak for anybody else. It yeah. gives me an illusion of doing something. Yeah. <laughs> while actually not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> Doesn't help. No. And I'm expending all this energy and I'm, yeah, you're thinking you're doing something, but then what have I accomplished? <laughs> Worry has a friend that I'm not quite sure what I call it. For me, worry is more about what might be going to happen. You know, I can worry yeah. about, are we going to have enough money to pay the bills? Is, is my loved one going to you know, leave the burner on on the stove because of being in an alcoholic forgetfulness? These are things that I worried about in the past. And worried over and over about, usually in the middle of the night when none of that was actually happening, but it yeah. might happen. Mm-hmm. It might happen someday. And then there's going over things that happened that I wish had happened differently, which I think this reading also touched on. Yeah. And I don't, I, for me, the word worry doesn't quite capture that, but it's definitely the same mental exercise of, of going over and over and over something that either, you know, hasn't happened in the case of worry or I can't change in the yeah. case of stuff that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Both of them are equally unproductive. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, yeah. And I guess I also think, connect that to the later steps where in step four, I do look back, but I look back in a more healthy way. I look back in a way of, of understanding how I acted, what happened and sort of what, what was inside me that I was acting from so Mm -hmm. that I can move forward you know, admit the exact nature of my wrongs in step five and then ask for help. Yeah. Which is something else I had to give up, right? This, like, I can do it all myself. Right. Yes. We can't recover alone or I can't. <laughs> yeah. You know, and step three is is about asking for that help, as are some of the later steps. But asking for that help from a higher power, asking for that help from other people, which maybe is harder, because it requires admitting that I can't do it. Right. Oh, and you had this expression that I just loved. You talked about being in a self-sufficient hell. Yes. I read that in the ACA Red Book in a recent meeting, and I had never heard it before, but as soon as I heard it, I immediately identified with it. Uh, and the whole meeting just all went, ooh. <laughs> Everyone in the room went, wow. <laughs> yeah. Were those words there before? 
Right. I mean, I've never seen them before in any recovery literature. It's just said, wow, it's what a concept. And, you know, because um, I don't know about you or other people, but I have a tendency to isolate. I think I can do things myself. I think I can get better alone. I can. And reading literature definitely helps, but I can read a lot of things and and think about things. And that's kind of like just it's discovery, right? And, and recovery is in the doing, I, I think. Telling someone else is the doing. Yeah. Telling someone else, asking someone else to, to help or just, just sometimes just sharing with somebody else and not, not needing any, not needing any, any how to, not needing any fixing, just, Mm -hmm. I need to share this thing. I need to say it out loud to make it real, but also to help me let go of it. Huh? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how the program works, how we can all, that's, that is being of service. We don't have to fix one another. It's the, the listening part. That's what does it. Yes. A phrase that I've heard about surrender in these rooms is that when I surrender, I join the winning side. Yeah. That, of course, implies that there's a side. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I think there is a real truth in that. And especially thinking about going from the self-sufficient, I can do it all myself, except I really can't, to here is a community of people that have faced these same problems and have found solutions or at least ways to deal and are willing to share those. And I can, I can, as we say, take what I like and leave the rest. I can pick out the pieces that I think will work for me today mm-hmm. and I can try them. Yeah. In that sense, I'm, I'm joining the winning side, even though it's not really a side. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and so that brings us to this concept of not just surrendering, giving away things, giving up things, but surrendering to, you know, surrendering to our higher power, giving our will into the care of a higher power. What else? What else have, have you surrendered to? What have I surrendered to? Yeah, I've surrendered to the program of recovery i've surrendered to the care of my higher power which for me is meaning that i'm surrendering doing my will anymore because i think my higher power knows what is best for me and in doing that i've been surrendering things like my people-pleasing behaviors and chasing approval of other people. And I identify these as survival traits that I developed in, in childhood. And so now, you know, I'm looking at my motivations more for doing things. And, you know, I love doing things for friends. And then that's a genuine part of who I am. But what feels different now in recovery is that when I'm helping someone when I'm, when I'm doing something for someone else, it's only out of that genuine love of care and care and not out of 
fear that they will leave me if I don't do this thing. So that's how it feels different. So the win part, Mm. what have you won? What have I won in this surrender? I think about where I was. I think about the person that I was, the way that I acted, what life is like now. Mm. You know, when I, when I first time I worked through the steps and I got to step 12, which says having had a spiritual awakening, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a promise, right? Yeah. It says, by the time you get here, you will have had a spiritual awakening. Right. That's a pretty audacious promise. Yeah, it is. <laughs> of course, there's a lot of work to get there, so maybe it's not right. so surprising. Yeah. That's the only promise in the steps that's explicitly stated in the steps. And so I got to step 12, and I was working out of the Al-Anon book, Paths to Recovery, which has a set of questions to help me understand what this step means to me, to help me work the step in, in, that, in that phrase that we use. And the first question was, have you had a spiritual awakening? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, uh, well, I didn't have one of those white light experiences that, that some people speak of, that Bill Wilson speaks of in, in yeah. his story in the AA Big Book. <laughs> I heard somebody call it a blue light experience when I'm like, that's a different, um, it's a different thing. Um, but, uh, that's what you get in Kmart, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to I had to pause and I had to look back and it was a I was a couple years into the program at that point. And I just looked back to think about, well, how was I relating to the world? How was I living my life? How was I experiencing my life? Yeah. Two years ago. And how is it now? Mm. And it was night and day. I mean, yeah. It really was. You know, in early 2002, when I came into the program, I was living in fear and despair and anger and resentment and frustration and all other kinds of negative feelings yeah. that I probably couldn't even have named. Right. Um, I was angry all the time. I was screaming at my children, yelling at my coworkers. Yelling at other drivers on the road, of course. Uh, that's, <laughs> of course. that's one I'm still working on. Uh, you know, when 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 I'm with my wife and I do that, she reminds me that they can't hear me, but she can. <laughs> right. Like, ah, you're right. <laughs> and two years later, the anger was gone. The rage was gone. I was not mm. screaming at the kids, yelling at my coworkers. I. I think it was. It must have been in 2002, and in my annual um, performance review with my boss, and and he said, you know, I really think you should do an anger management course because this is a problem. Yeah. Beyond that, I wasn't living in fear and despair and confusion and and all that. I I had at least times of peace and serenity, and it's not right. because. My loved one had stopped drinking. Mm. I was still living with active alcoholism in my house. Yeah. 
she was still on her downward path to her bottom, but I was okay. Yeah. You know, like, yes, I definitely had all sorts of spiritual awakenings. They were just really slow. Mm-hmm. You know, when you wake up in the morning, sometimes you're just like, boom, right awake. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you can't really say where was the boundary between I'm asleep and I'm awake because you just sort of become aware that, oh, I'm awake. Maybe I should get up and start my day. Mm-hmm. And that's what that was like for me in the program. It was it was that mm-hmm. gradual, like, and I had, to, I had to stop and say, hmm, am I different? Have I had some sort of awakening? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was a win. That was a gift. Right. Of of giving up these things that I thought were essential, but that were not successful, right? Right. And of listening, listening for the guidance, the voice of a power greater than myself, whatever that might be. And I'm still, I still don't have to define it. And that's something right. else that, that actually I gave up. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, there's this word God, and in order for me to you know, take these steps with this word God in it, like I have to know what God is. Mm. Um, you know, people have been sort of pondering for thousands of years what God is. People yeah. who are a lot smarter at that than I am. So what do I think? <laughs> I can like put a box around God and define whatever God is. Right. And and the way that I got through step three was to say, I don't have to have a picture of God. I just have to know that there is a power greater than myself that can and wants to help me. And I have to, to listen so that I can hear that guidance, so that I can hear that will. And by doing that, I started acting in new ways that, you know, as the reading says, led me to a life beyond my wildest dreams. Right. What What have you found? Where have you found the win in surrender? Yeah. Well, and I, I love what you just said about not needing to put a box around God. I, I found, I can definitely relate to that. I, um, I don't. I love that I've let go of the idea that I don't need to know how this works and it's beautiful. It just does. And I just, my job is to let it work. The win for me is uh, since joining ACA, I found that I've been intuitively making healthier choices, which is something, one of the so-called promises of, of ACA too. I'm finding that just my motivation is just, I feel different on a cellular level, really. My relationship with my, my husband has always been very strong, but it's just, it's just better because I, we just, um, I'm just more gentle with him. I'm just, I'm less critical of myself, less critical of others. I think I'm a better parent. I know I don't need to be perfect. Uh, so definitely, you know, other wins for me are just taking better care of myself, which has resulted in less anxiety, less worry, just trusting that that things will work out, um, worrying less about things like 
money and, and, and also things like worrying whether people in my family of origin will get better because they have a higher power too. And I have to let their higher power look out for them because I can't uh, let my overdeveloped sense of responsibility uh, try and fix things for them. So yeah, there's been a lot of wins for me and I'm really excited to continue to deepen my practice with things like meditation and just realize more of these gifts. And I, I feel like I have small spiritual awakenings often and sometimes there have been really big ones too and and i just have to keep listening i am reminded of a reading here that is sometimes called the al-anon promises Mm. although i've also heard it called gifts Mm -hmm. Um, because as somebody put it We've had so many broken promises in our lives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is from the book titled From Survival to Recovery, which is subtitled Growing Up in an Alcoholic Home. It's an al book. And here's the reading. If we willingly surrender ourselves to the spiritual discipline of the 12 steps, our lives can be transformed. We can become mature, responsible individuals with a great capacity for joy, fulfillment, and wonder. Though we will never be perfect, continued spiritual progress can reveal to us our enormous potential. Many of us discover what our fellow members already know, that we are both worthy of love and loving. We learn to love others without losing ourselves, and we accept love in return. Our sight, once clouded and distorted, can clear enough for us to perceive reality and recognize truth. Courage and fellowship replace fear. It becomes possible for us to risk failure and develop new, previously hidden talents. Our lives, no matter how battered and degraded, will offer hope to share with others. We begin to feel and know the vastness of our emotions without being slaves to them. Our secrets no longer have to bind us in shame. As we gain the ability to forgive ourselves, our families, and the world, our choices expand. With dignity, we stand for ourselves without standing against others. Serenity and peace will have new meaning as we allow our lives and the lives of those we love to flow day by day with God's ease, balance, and grace. No longer terrified, we discover that we are free to live to delight in life's paradox, mystery, and awe. We laugh more. Faith replaces fear and gratitude comes naturally as we realize that our higher power is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's a win. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all kinds of win. Oh, yeah. That's great. So we have a little break uh, before we talk about our lives in recovery, and you picked some music for this episode. The first musical selection is by an artist named John Moreland, and the name of the song is Latchkey Kid, and here's some lyrics. Well, tonight the stars are screaming, and I've long been learning how to let them go. I got these old familiar feelings, looking back on how I got so low. Sometimes life plays like a series of exams, and you need someone to wash the bad blood off your hands. Well, you'll always be my favorite latchkey kid. I'm sorry that I hurt you like I did. Mm. There's a lot in there, isn't there? Yeah. Makes me think about, uh, I love that little phrase, stars are screaming. That really reminds me of this uh, thing we touched on about 
obsessing, ruminating about things that maybe will happen in the future or have already happened. And so, you know, letting them go for me would be a surrender. When he says old familiar feelings, that makes me think of things that led to old behaviors that I still do sometimes, but doing less now. And he's looking back on what brought him to this point. And of course, I think, you know, I'm the latchkey kid. So I really, uh, this song really resonates with me. It says to me that I need to include myself when I'm making my list of amends to make to others. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? I'm thinking back to last Sunday, the meeting that I made it to, which I didn't make it to Saturday because I was ill, which also happened this weekend. I like mm-hmm. got a new cold and did not make it to my meeting on Saturday. We had four newcomers at the meeting, and this is a meeting that has maybe 20 people, something like that. So four is like a big number for that meeting. Yeah. That that meeting splits into two tables and the table that I was sitting at, the table that I chose to sit at had the newcomers and we did step one. We talked about step one. We read from How Al-Anon Works, that reading that I talked about earlier. And then each of us who wishes to uh, shares some of our experience, strength and hope of coming to the program and how maybe we experienced step one. There was some really good sharing. I needed a step one meeting for a number of reasons. Um, I'm always, almost always up for a step one meeting, no matter, mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter where I am in life. <laughs> it was funny because uh, one of the people who shared talked about a lot of the feelings and stuff that I would have talked about in my share about, you know, wanting to control, wanting to fix, et cetera. And, and I was able to say, yeah, so thank you for saying all that because now I don't have to say it. <laughs> and I identify with <laughs> a whole bunch of it. Trying to do this in a non-crosstalky way, too, is difficult. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think I managed to pull that off. I don't know. <laughs> so that was good. And uh, other than that, I was going to say it's been a quiet week, but there's some, some, I don't know, not quite drama at work, but certainly some things happening at work that stirred me up a little bit. One of the members of my team, in fact, the the member with the most seniority, has taken a promotion and is moving to another team, and so we're we're losing her knowledge and expertise. And yeah, I'm, I'm not happy about that. I mean, for mm. for me and for the team, I'm I'm sad that we're that we're losing her, and I'm a little concerned about not having that breadth and depth of knowledge right there as, as we move forward to do new things based on the things we've already done. But at the same time, I know this is the right thing for her to do, right? Yeah. Is that just mixed up emotions? So applying principles of recovery, uh, and in this case, the slogan, first things first, I can feel those emotions and I should feel those emotions, but I also need to think about what are the first things that we need to do to ensure a smooth transition. 
we we sat down and we said, well, okay, there's there's knowledge that you have that may not be recorded in our corporate memory, in other words, written down. And so for the next week, because we agreed that her last day with the team would be this coming Friday, we want to focus on understanding what it is that, that you know that the rest of us don't know as well or as much or as deeply and making sure that we get as much of that from you as possible. And it's not like she's not moving to another company. She's just moving mm-hmm. to another group in the same, in the same company. She'll be on a, a floor away. And so, you know, if we absolutely need something that, that she knows that the rest of us are not so sure about or don't remember, we know where to find her. Right. <laughs> and and she's <laughs> agreeable with that. Okay. It's not, she's, not, she's not like leaving in anger, right? Acceptance of the things I cannot change, even if I'm not happy about them, which is a form of surrender, lets me take the win of thinking about, given that this is happening, what is the, the best outcome that I can work towards? And how do I work yeah. towards that outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Also at work, and I talk a lot about work, but you know, I spend what, a third of my life and right. probably half of my waking life at work. Sure. Um, and, and I interact with a lot more people at work than I interact with at home because at home it's mostly my wife and the dog. <laughs> we have, my wife and I have well-worn paths of interaction, having been together for almost 40 years now. Um, still not being able to read each other's minds, but that's a right. separate issue. <laughs> so there are some people at work that, I have to work closely with because what we're doing requires that and that have ways of doing ways of speaking ways of being that annoy me, bother me are not my ways in some way, you know, small or big. Coming back to the serenity prayer, applying the algorithm in the serenity prayer. Okay, is this something I can change? Can I change this person? No. <laughs> can't. Okay, that's why I'm in this program, because I can't mm-hmm. change people. Okay. <laughs> what can I change? If I accept that I can't change the other person, I accept that I am in a working relationship with the other person, and that's not going to change. What can I change? What I can change is my attitudes and my actions, as my first sponsor loved to say. The only thing I can change are my attitudes and my actions. So I understand that this person, these people, do not think the way I do, do not look at the world the way I do. And how can I adapt my interaction with that understanding. This is an ongoing piece of work for me. Uh, yeah. Uh, but when I put that out there, you know, and it, as, as in step seven to say, Hey, higher power, like help me with this, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my way is not working. Then I can start to change the reactions that I have. And, and I'm not, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's like we talk about working on our on our character defects, but we're not really working mm-hmm. on them, right? Right. <laughs> we're we're giving them up, we're surrendering them and 
And for me, the way that has worked is when I ask my higher power for help to change something about about me, um, what I usually get is a removal of like a mental blockage, an emotional blockage that is keeping me from acting in a new way. Yeah. But I still have to practice that new way of acting. And so that's where I am with these, these work relationships that, that are, are, are frictional for me. Sure. Is, is I'm practicing acting in a new way. I talked about this oh, years ago when I think it was my boss, one of my coworkers said to me, you know, some people are kind of afraid to approach you and, and ask you questions. And I was like, well, okay, I don't really understand why. Yeah. And what I, what I came to, what I, what I understood from, you know, that still small voice or whatever was that if I could change my facial expression when somebody came up to me that, and I know what's happening. Okay. I'm in the middle of doing something. I'm in the middle of, of, of flow and somebody comes and interrupts. Right. I'm annoyed at that interruption because I was getting stuff done and now mm-hmm. I'm going to have to restart that process. And so I look up and I have this like presumably annoyed <laughs> look on my face and they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'll go, I'll go away now. <laughs> and so what I practiced was just putting on a smile. Yeah. Okay. Which changes that immediate interaction but also more subtly, it starts to change the way that I feel in that interaction. Yeah. It makes it easier to do it the next time. Mm-hmm. And about, I don't know, a year or so ago, the support team uh, has been, every month they pick what they call a, a values victor, somebody that they they feel embodies their, our, our organizational values, which are things like belonging and teamwork. And they picked me. Oh, wow. And I was like, <laughs> spiritual awakening. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, this program works. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and, and I guess the last thing I want to talk about is just taking care of myself because of the, you know, again, yesterday morning, I get up and my nose is running and I'm sneezing and coughing and I'm like, but I want to go to my meeting. And so I dose myself and I get up and I get going. I'm actually in the car, driving to the meeting, sneezing and coughing in the car. (laughs) And I said to myself, this is not right. This is not what I need to be doing right now. As much as I want to go to the meeting, number one, I don't want to impose this on everybody else who is there and maybe get somebody else sick. That's no good. Mm -hmm. Um, And number two, I want to go lie down. Right. (laughs) You know? And so the priority changed. I mean, going to a meeting is one form of taking care of myself. It takes care of Mm -hmm. my spiritual self and and my emotional self. Mm -hmm. Going and lying on the couch takes care of my physical self and to some extent, my emotional and spiritual self. Yeah. And that's what I needed to do right then. 
Right. And being able to have that clarity and say, no, this is actually the right thing to do. And I turned around and I went home and I laid on the couch most of the day. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that was a lot more about the week than I thought I had. How about you? <laughs> oh, well, this week was really good. Around here, I had the opportunity to attend two meetings a week. And so Wednesday night is our uh, Red Book reading. And then uh, Saturday morning meeting is uh, a step meeting. I wasn't able to make it to the Wednesday night meeting and on a for a similar theme I wasn't feeling my best either had my first cold and geez I can't remember the last time I had a cold like this but anyway I'm getting getting better too but yeah I can relate to saying to myself oh you know I really want to go to my meeting or I want to go work out or something but really what I need to do is to take care of my physical body and that does take care of my spiritual and emotional self too, for sure. I was feeling better yesterday, so I was able to go to the step meeting, which is nice. I hadn't been there in a while because my, my son has had basketball practice this winter and I like to be there. And so I've been choosing to go to that uh, for a bit. And now I'm back to Saturday meetings. So yesterday we read about step four, which is uh, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, something I have yet to do, but I've, I've started working on it. So the pages we read from our Yellow Step Workbook discussed how adult children often carry around unexpressed grief. And I shared about, and some other folks uh, were discussing a similar thing, about how crying since entering recovery has been more productive. Before recovery, I would cry when I was angry. And I felt like you know those two things were kind of out of out of uh, alignment with each other. When I'm angry, I feel like it might be more productive to say I'm angry and explain my position. But I I never felt like I could really do that. And so kind of like what was going on with my appearance wasn't matching how I felt inside. Um, I'm noticing now since entering recovery that I cry when I'm genuinely sad and that after I do cry, I genuinely do feel a bit better. I mean, it may not fix everything and that's okay. It just, it, it does help. To me, that's evidence that I'm slowly getting better at feeling my feelings. And we also read about uh, step five, which is, you know, obviously comes after step four, the part where we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. For me, I feel like this is part of being willing to do whatever it takes to get better. So uh, surrendering to that process and letting it work despite my fear of how painful, you know, that work can be. And and it is at times I give myself gentleness breaks. Um, you know, I definitely can't do it. I can't do all those inventories, uh, in, in one sitting. I, sometimes if I do them for 10 minutes at a time, that's okay. And that's just, that's just what it's going to take. It took me a long time to get to this point. And so I'm realizing that it's going to take me, a long time to to get better too, and and that's okay. I, I've heard it said before. Um, the sentiment, "I wish you a slow recovery," I, I totally get that, and I think that's nice. In terms of work, yeah, I I feel like I have a I have a an interesting job. Uh, it's fulfilling work, and it can be very high stress at times. There's a lot going on right now where I feel like I'm taking on more responsibility than is typically within my scope, just a lot of growing pains, I guess, in my organization, which is good. I mean, things are, to me, it means that things are, uh, 
uh, we're really expanding as a company. Yeah, there's there could be a lot of stress, and I have to take a lot of time to take a step back and um, take care of myself. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what's coming up on the recovery show? I'm still looking for uh, shares about the experience of being a dual program member, somebody who's in Al-Anon and another program or in two recovery programs, I suppose, you know, could be ACA and another program, right? And I've gotten some shares from people. And and interestingly, and as this happened with the, uh, the men in Al-Anon episode, I'm getting some shares from people who are not dual program members, but talking about how they value the input that people who are in another program as well, bring to their sharings, bring to the experience of, of working working recovery. So I'm not going to limit my call to say, hey, if you're in another program and in, in Al-Anon, if you're in two programs or more, some people, how do the programs support each other? How are they different? How do you keep the focus on whichever program you're in when you're in those meetings? That's that's sometimes an issue that I hear about, you know, comes up at group conscience or otherwise. Please share that experience. I'm only in one program, and and I do value the things that that people who are in multiple programs bring to the tables. But I don't know what what that experience is like for you. So, if you would like to, please share your experience, strength, and hope by voice or email and. How can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at the recovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of surrender to win or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, that would be on our website, which is therecovery.show, which has all the information about the show. We have notes for each episode, which includes links to usually a YouTube video of the musics that we talk about and links to, or at least references to the readings. Um, I try to give you a link to where you can buy the book, which might be from Al-Anon or from ACA in, in the case of this episode, as long with things like the page reference. So you're like, oh, I really liked that reading, but where was that from? And now I have to like Somehow scroll back through the podcast to hear where it was from. Well, now you can just go look at the, <laughs> look at the show notes at therecovery.show slash 320 if you want to know where those readings came from. Let's take another break before we look at our mailbag. And what is the second song that you chose? It's by the Avit Brothers. And the title of the song is Tell the Truth to Yourself. And here's some lyrics. Tell the truth to yourself and the rest will fall in place. Tell the truth to yourself and the rest will fall in place. I lied to the doctor. I lied to my lover. I want to make amends, but where do I start? Tell the truth to yourself and the rest will fall in place. Tell the truth to yourself and the rest will fall in place. Tell the truth to yourself. Tell the truth. Sounds like uh, program. 
Yeah. <laughs> I love this band. They, they sing a lot about program. Yeah. And I saw, this is actually from their newest album. And I heard this and I said, wow, this is, this is great. Um, I, I, uh, I just, I just love it. Just all about, you know, obviously making, making amends, but it is, it's hard to know where do you start, but that's why the program's here to help us with this. Right. And so we can surrender to that and to what our higher power wants for us and, and have some rigorous honesty about the problem and my faults and the rest will fall in place. Barb, can you read the email we got from Dave, which he titled Stuff with a smiley face? <laughs> I love it. Sure, absolutely. Hi, Spencer. I discovered your podcast recently, and I have found it really helpful. My episode searches were topical to begin with, but I liked the show so much that I just started back at the beginning. Do you ever hear from Kelly or Swetha? Not to break their anonymity or anything, just wondering if they're okay. My story may be unusual. I'm not sure. I have not found anyone in my seven years of AA who has a similar one. For the first 41 years of my life, I was alcohol-free for the most part. I got tipsy once in my late 20s, which was fun but didn't get me started. I knew plenty about the negative power of the stuff just from being alive and observant, and I'm cautious by nature. I married my best friend at the age of 38. We'd been close for 10 years. It was a first marriage for both of us. Three years later, she died of pancreatic cancer less than three months after diagnosis. My pain and loss was more than I could handle, so I began drinking to kill it. That was my conscious intention, and I didn't care much what happened to me. To make a long story shorter, not something I excel at, <laughs> after eight years of hard drinking, I sought help, got sober, and got an AA sponsor. After seven years in AA, which has helped me, I'm frustrated. I love my sponsor, but in many ways, we can't relate to each other. Recently, with his encouragement, I attended a few Al-Anon meetings. I have major trust issues from growing up with non-alcoholic sibling abuse, so I haven't shared yet, but I relate strongly with many of the people and their issues, denial, avoidance, codependent relationships, fear, self-devaluing, etc. These things, though certainly present in AAs, are not accompanied by the impulsivity, machismo, and at least former moral abandon I see in many of them, nor the havoc wreaked in their own lives and the lives of others, none of which I can relate to. So I'm left with a dilemma. My time in AA has both helped and not helped. Alcohol no longer tempts me, but I haven't really given myself to the program or gotten to a place of fellowship and trust. With Al-Anon, while I don't really have a qualifier unless I can count myself, insert chuckle here, I've really just started and don't know anyone. I feel comfortable with my virtual group at the podcast, you and your erstwhile, I've only gotten through the first year co-hosts. But I'm not heading to Michigan anytime soon, nor am I a stalker. <laughs> so here's an email. Any insights? Thank you for your commitment to helping others. Blessings to you and yours, Dave. It's an interesting um, situation, Dave. And so I had a couple of thoughts. First, from like what we said earlier, if the medicine works, um, maybe you should take it. So if if you're finding value in the program and it's helping you, then... Um, that might be enough reason to keep coming. Oh, you had a couple of specific questions for me that I wanted to to speak to first. Kelly and Swetha have both moved out of town 
I've pretty much lost touch. I occasionally see them pop up in Facebook and I'm in a meditation group on Facebook. And, and so I think, uh, I think they're both doing fine, but uh, not really in my life anymore. The thought that I had was that maybe, and I think you can speak to this better than I can, Barb, maybe ACA would be a place that you'd feel more comfortable. I definitely feel like for me, ACA really gets into issues from childhood more so than Al-Anon. My my personal experience was that Al-Anon for me was folks who were in a partnership with someone who had a problematic relationship with alcohol. And ACA is to there to address specific behaviors related to survival traits that we develop in childhood. So um, yeah, I think that's a great recommendation and I think it would be a great place to check out. I just was checking the uh, adult children, the ACA website, and the title of the the page, that the homepage, says, Welcome to Adult Children of Alcoholics slash Dysfunctional Families. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, you don't have to be an adult child of an alcoholic specifically. If you can identify with the laundry list, so they, they call it the 14 characteristics of adult children. If you feel that you're from a dysfunctional family system, then you definitely have a place here. Yeah. Oh, I know what was the other thing I thought of. This qualifier, notion of qualifier. I mean, yeah, I came to Elanon because I couldn't deal with my loved ones drinking. But what qualifies me to be an Elanon is me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that mm-hmm. that's absolutely true. Yeah. Elizabeth wrote with a question. She writes, good day. Thanks for your great podcasts. I would like to make some playlists from your song choices. Is there a list somewhere or do you have to open every episode to get the songs? Thanks. And I wrote back to Elizabeth uh, because I wanted to send her a link to the Spotify account in which I have built playlists for many of the episodes. And typically those those playlists will include more than the songs that we talked about in the episode because I would build those as I was trying to pick songs and and sometimes I would get you know five songs sometimes I would get 10 songs and and then you know had to pick 3 but I left them all in the playlist the username on Spotify that has these playlists is the recovery show all mushed together all one word which is the way I created the account and then I couldn't figure out any way to change that to something like more reasonable Anyway, if you can figure out how to search for find a friend or whatever they call it, I I can't figure out how to do that on the phone app. I think there is a way to do it on the desktop app. You might try searching for The Recovery Show. Otherwise, I'm going to put a link into the notes at therecovery.show slash 320. When I use this link on my phone, it says, do you want to open this in the app? And then there's a follow button so that I can just make make it a little easier to get back there when I want to. When I did this on my computer, it took me to the web interface. There was no follow button. There was no way to open it in the app. I was very frustrated. Anyway, I'm going to put that there, and hopefully that will help for those of you who want to find the the songs that I've picked over the last... I and my guests have picked, I should say. I, I'm not always up to date with that. I'm not always... Uh, you know, not all of the episodes have playlists on Spotify, but a lot of them do. So... And a long answer to Elizabeth's short question. Mm. A friend wrote, The Snow Walk episode was posted on my birthday. I haven't left this apartment building in five years other than grocery shopping and doctor visits. 
I went on a hike today with the help of a friend through the snow in the woods by Lake Ontario. Thank you kindly. And that short email just really touched me. It reminds me that I really don't know what my words might encourage uh, in somebody else, what the the impact of, of, of my words are. So thank you for writing. I'm just grateful that what I was able to say touched you in that way. Sarah sent us a voice share about willingness, which was episode 216. Hi, Spencer and Eric. This is Sarah from Massachusetts. I just finished listening to your episode on willingness. It's 250-something. And I want to start with just so much gratitude for the resource of your show in my recovery. I have been so moved by this episode and you know, I just picked it out because of the title, because I'm, I keep pondering willingness and, and how to demonstrate willingness to my higher power, basically, or, or to myself, you know, and, and for me, my higher power kind of resides within in a lot of ways. And so that's kind of the same thing. I really especially related to the part where you guys were talking about the willingness comes both from you kind of being pushed by the effects of the disease and the, the despair, the misery, the unhappiness that come with it. But also at the same time, you're feeling drawn by attraction to the recovery that you see in people in the program and that willingness it kind of comes in between those two things and has a lot to do with learning to go with the flow I feel like that was said a whole bunch of times and you know I I have never thought about willingness as in those terms about being willing to go with the flow Honestly, that, that description really speaks to me and feels like something that I could potentially do, unlike trying to force myself to be willing. That is not how willingness works. I am realizing for me. I mean, I think that willingness means different things to different people too. Something that happened this week was one thing I struggle with is overcommitting myself. I have done that. I signed up to be on this committee when I was asked to. And I decided, you know, even though I kind of knew I was taking on too much, I decided to just power through it. And then I went to the first meeting and I totally had like a feeling of dread, like, oh, what did I do? And I pondered it for a while and I prayed on it and, you know, asked for guidance from my higher power. And I got this message like, you need to quit. You need to back out. And, you know, that's something I'm super terrible at. I am, I am not good at admitting that I've made a mistake. I've taken on too much, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I didn't want to do it and I tried to ignore it for a while, but I, but I got the message again and I decided that this was a way that I could demonstrate a willingness to change you know, to, to deal with the consequences of the fact that I yet again have taken on too much. 
if I had not taken on too much, I wouldn't have to like painfully extract myself and quit and disappoint people and all that stuff. But because I did, I need to demonstrate I'm willing to change by suffering those consequences and pulling out of this thing that I committed to. And it's, and it's also like, okay, it's, it's not the end of the world that I'm not going to be on this committee. So I actually did it. You know, it started to, I can just feel something opening up inside of me and that that this new possibilities basically. So I'm really grateful that I took that step, even though I felt really shitty about it. (laughs) And I had someone kind of validate me today and say like, I get it. I get why you decided not to do that. And you know, that helps too. It helps to be in community and not just in my head. And that's one of the reasons I really am so grateful for your show once again. So thank you to Spencer. Thank you to Eric. And I'm going to keep coming back. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for sharing that, Sarah. And Alina, who's been working her way through our back catalog and sharing on a lot of them, has a share on episode 52, which was titled My Story. Hey, my name's Alina. Um, I just wanted to share on episode 52 about like our story and everything. I really enjoyed the topic. I thought that it's always interesting to see, you know, what brings people into these rooms and just to see the, um, progress and the work that's put into it and just to prove that, you know, it does help, you know, the program does work and just the amount of friendships and things that you can obtain through the program. And, you know, what amazes me is the fact that, you know, no one judges, no one criticizes, you know, the meeting that initially brought me into the program was a really, really good Saturday meeting. And everyone in there was just so welcoming and positive and no one like pressured me. I didn't feel pressured. I didn't feel like I was being judged. I didn't feel you know, anything really, it was just a really good place. Like, and, and, you know, there was, I don't know what, you know, if it was a higher power or, you know, what exactly it was or the fact that I felt safe, but, you know, I would, you know, be anxious and worried and feel alone before walking into a room. And then when I would get there and, you know, by the time I would leave, uh, I was feeling so much better and I felt like, I could actually have hope and I could actually move on. But what actually brought me into the rooms of Al-Anon was my qualifier's mother could see at what a low point I was at. And I never dealt with addiction like this in my, you know, nothing. Like I I still look, look back on it and I can't believe like some of the stuff that I encountered or went through and, you know, the actions that I took and things that I tried to do to save somebody, you know, I don't regret any of that because I feel like it's made me who I am today and I can, you know, share these stories and kind of help someone else. And, you know, and what had brought her thinking about Al-Anon was, you know, a police officer that had come to our house several times because she has two qualifying sons and, you know, a husband came in and told her, you know, you really need to go to Al-Anon and she had never gone and she had kind of, you know, just dismissed it and didn't think that she needed the help. And then when she saw how low I was at, 
she decided, you know, let's go to a meeting together. Let's look it up. And we did end up going. And then that first meeting was so, I mean, it was hard. I don't even remember exactly. I just remembered I cried a lot. I didn't really, of course, share or anything like that. But we went to three meetings together on those Saturdays. And then after that, she stopped going for whatever reason. I don't think that she found, and even to this day, you know, she's gone to like maybe two more since then. And it's been, God, how long since I've been in the program? Probably five years, maybe four, four or five years. So she stopped going. I continued going after that. And I just, you know, loved what I was hearing and loved the people. And, you know, even with relapses in the works, I could still go there and feel comfort, even though I didn't really want to speak or share about it. I did get a sponsor, you know, I'm currently working on step work and I'm on on my 11th step. And it's just so hard to believe that, you know, it's taken me a while, of course, but I'm just proud of, you know, how far I've come and everything. But it's just nice to hear everybody's stories and their shares. And I did like the topic. I think it's an interesting way to maybe let other people know that, you know, they're not alone and it's not a create, you know, you're not crazy. And it just gives you like inspiration and hope just to move forward. So, you know, now that I have been going to Alan on, I realize, you know, my, you know, you know, I always knew, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. He wasn't in my life from, you know, he was until I was about eight. And then I didn't have any contact with him really at all. And we lived in the same city but he, you know, had another family and his alcoholism continued up until he passed away about 10 years ago. But, you know, I now realize, you know, my personality and the things that I deal with are also because I'm a child of an alcoholic and I never really, probably wouldn't have ever really known that if I hadn't gone into the program. And, you know, also, you know, my husband's my qualifier as well. And so I deal with that. He is not in a recovery right now. Um, but he's, you know, a member of a society and he functions and everything like that, but it does help me, you know, deal with things with him. But, you know, my qualifier that initially brought me into the program, he is clean and sober, but not in a program. And so it does help to have these tools to help you know, help me figure out, you know, what I need to do and focus on myself and not somebody else's inventory and not what somebody else needs to be working on. So it's a positive thing. And, you know, it's not a hundred percent, you know, there's days where I fall short and feel like I need to be doing more, but I can't be hard on myself. I need to realize that it's, you know, one day at a time sometimes or one moment at a time. So I just wanted to thank you for your shares and um, that's all I have. Thank you. And, and thanks for sharing, Alina. I love the the way that you're sort of bringing the back catalog to life as you as you work your way through it. Thanks. Okay, one more song. What you got? All right. Well, the last song is another by the Avit Brothers, and this one's called "True Sadness." Here's some lyrics. You were a friend to me when my wheels were off the track, and though you say there is no need, I intend to pay you back. When my mind was turning loose and all my thoughts were turning black. You shined a light on me, and I intend to pay you back. But I still wake up shaken by dreams, and I hate to say it, but the way it seems is that no one is fine. 
take the time to peel a few layers and you will find true sadness. Uh, yeah, the first time I heard this song, I immediately thought about my friends and recovery and how we give back to others in the program what we have received, but it's, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no expectation of some kind of payment. Like we don't owe each other anything. It's just, this is how the program works, you know, giving what we've received. Thank you for listening. And please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. We did not talk about a problem you are facing today. Feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. <laughs>